Welcome to the Top Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Proud Mouse Pod Rocket Academy. I'm your host, Bill Cates, creator of the Cates Academy for Relationship Marketing. In each episode, I interview one of our industry's top performers, getting them to pass on their secrets to success to you so that you can impact more lives and generate more income. Now, on to the show. Welcome, welcome. Before we get started with today's show, I want to let you know about a new tool that we're offering to help you tap into the strategies and tactics that will help you create exponential growth. And this tool is so affordable, you may doubt its value, but that would be a big mistake on your part. And I have a special code that will make your investment in this tool really a no-brainer. And I'll tell you more about that about halfway through today's show. But first, I want you to meet our smart, fun, and sometimes a little edgy guest. Sarah Grillo, CFA, is a financial advisor and marketing consultant. She specializes in LinkedIn lead generation strategies for wealth management, investment management, financial planning, and RIA firms. That should include just about everybody listening. Uh, Sarah received her graduate degree from a a small university in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of Harvard University. Uh, I was considering Harvard out of high school. The problem is they weren't considering me. Uh, So she also pursued her master's degree at NYU Stern School of Business before obtaining her CFA designation and going to work for a financial as a financial advisor for a firm uh, perhaps you used to know about called Lehman Brothers. Uh, Sarah has earned a reputation for her outspoken and occasionally disruptive perspectives on the unethical BS and nonsense that prevails in the private wealth industry. In fact, uh, in the about section of her LinkedIn profile, it, be- it begins with this statement. This is unusual in a LinkedIn about profile. It says, warning, I am highly disapproved of and not for everyone. My name is Sarah G, and I am the leader of the Transparent Advisor Movement, which we're going to learn more about. So I have to tell you, I've been looking forward to this uh, interview for a long time. Sarah's creative, sometimes funny, and almost always edgy. Uh, it, it resonated. Her writing resonated with me, so I knew I wanted to get her on the show. And today, uh, title of today's show is The Two Big Marketing Strategies Every, Every Financial Advisor Needs to Use. I think we're going to have some fun, and I hope you're ready. Sarah Grillo, welcome to Top Advisor Podcast. Bill, thank you so much for having me. Are you ready to set the podcast on fire? I I am ready for it to burn up, and uh, and then I'll just go to the Bahamas or something. Uh, No, yeah, it'll be great. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yes, Uh, on your website, you write transparency matters. I help financial advisors generate leads using digital marketing in a way that is straightforward and puts consumer advocacy first. So while I'm calling transparency a a marketing strategy, I'd hazard a guess that to you, it's it's really much more than a marketing strategy. So what do you mean by transparency? Why is it important? Uh, How does it help with uh, attracting clients? More transparency, despite what everybody thinks, being clearer and more transparent is a huge advantage. It's a huge differentiator. Not only in how you serve clients, but in your initial presentation to them, it'll really set you apart. Keep in mind, one of the biggest obstacles 
when someone's deciding to work with you is not, is this person really as competent as I need him or her to be? Because I think everybody kind of assumes when you're talking to a financial advisor that they've had some base level of education and that they're if they're established, there is a kind of assumption there that they could probably do the work. But there are all kinds of concerns about, in an extreme sense, is this person going to steal my money? Which we can never really be fully assured is not going to be the case. <laughs> it's it, because you because you don't. I think. I, I mean, we we hope that it won't be, and most of the time we're relatively certain. We're certain enough. We're ninety nine percent sure. But any time that we're trusting another person, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So there is that doubt to begin with. The other thing is that there are, but there are many, many smaller doubts that creep in. And I think the biggest one is how am I going to know that this person is really going to treat me as good as he or she is pretending that they will in the beginning? How do I know it's going to last? How do I know that that truly is them? and how they treat people. So, so yeah, go ahead. And, and I think the industry in its history has always kind of kept things ambiguous because the conflict that firms have typically faced is if I empower the client too much, they'll leave and do it on their own. But and so we need to lock. And it's of late with all the information that's become available on the internet that clients, investors, et cetera, have caught on to this and not caught on to the fact that Wall Street and many of the powers that be in our industry that are are intentionally locking, but they've caught on to the fact that they could actually do it themselves. And there are a variety of resources that have emerged that have become quite popular to make that possible. So, so if, I'm sorry, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I was just gonna say, just if you could define or or just put a little more meat on the bone of uh, of locking, what do you mean by locking? Just yep. uh, keeping them in ignorance so it locks them into needing their advice? Is that what you mean? Or Yeah, kind of like that. I mean, if you look at, a typical financial advisor blog, if I write something about the Pennsylvania 529 plan, I'm not going to go into detail about every little thing so that the person could actually do it themselves. And I'm probably going to leave some stuff out because I'm going to feel like, well, if I tell them the whole thing, then why would they contact me? And moreover, most advisors don't really have the time and energy to to be that kind of a resource. Mm -hmm. Do you look at the amount of hours that's required to put together a semi-coherent blog post? It's hours. And most advisors aren't going to see the point in, well, I'm going to give it all away so that they don't need me. So it's mm -hmm. it's that. It's the, the idea of having them have to be delegated to. And there's not there's there's nothing wrong with that because most of the time, I mean, I, I mean, you all literally listen to this. Do you really think your clients understand what a stock or a bond really is, or a commodity <laughs> or crypto? I mean, you know, if I think about, I mean, you know, I love my parents, but 
there's a reason that they have a financial advisor and and it's right it's the right reason okay but there's just overly so uh, you know, there, there's not full and complete, like when people say, oh, we want more financial literacy. Well, we want enough so that we can virtue signal and we can make it seem like we're helping. But mm. really what a lot of the educational resources are that we're producing are, they are very biased and they are really in most cases leading to one thing, which is contact me to delegate the responsibility to me. Okay. So there's, there's that, there's the kind of information and knowledge locking, but then there's also locking. I mean, if you look at technically how things are set up and I understand that everybody's going to have an operational rationale for this, but if you look at it, you know, the, the custodians, right? Like a lot of times, one of the first things the advisor will say is, okay, you want to work with me, transfer your assets to Schwab, transfer them to Fidelity. And then how, if, if, if you want to leave, you'll have to transfer them out or maybe if you if you're going to go to another advisor if that advisor is at a different custodian so there's that and then there's the actual gating there's all kinds of gating that incurs in certain investment products as all of you know mm-hmm. you know back end loaded mutual funds and all of that which is becoming less and less popular but right right so what is what is transparency then? What how does that show up? And is that I wanted to ask you about your seventeen point test? Is that kind of the same question? Uh, you know. Yeah, how- I mean transparency. Transparency is means a, a lot of things. It's in in a general sense, it's just making clear what is relevant so that the picture that you're giving clients really is what you are. And so that it eliminates doubt because with doubt and opacity, well, with opacity comes doubt, with doubt comes lack of trust, and with lack of trust comes the people who really need the help. This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. Tired of chasing potential clients? We help you spend less time selling and more time advising by amplifying your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans who will chase you down instead. Visit proudmouth.com to learn more. So let's, let's get very specific here. You, you know, you haven't, I read an article, uh, I think it was in uh, titled is your marketing honest, uh, 17 point test. Right. Uh, so, and I think that's what we, we're specific here about transparency so we don't have time for all 17, but can you give us two, three, four uh, specifics so people really get the sense of when am I being honest, transparent? Yep. Uh, okay. First thing is on the homepage of your website, everybody listening to this, I want you to pull up your website right now. Did you do it? I'll wait. Okay. <laughs> so look at your website right now and within literally two seconds, can you tell what kind of an advisor you are, who you work with, and where you're located. Example, I am a fee-only advisor. See, now I sound like I'm the biggest pro-fiduciary, which I am pro-fiduciary, sorry. I can do another one for like fee-based, okay? But anyways, I'm a fee-only advisor in Scranton, Pennsylvania, working with dentists and dental hygienists. Okay, one sentence, smack dab in the middle of the website right on the homepage because I can't, because you're telling me who you are and I need to know that y'all. I need to know, I need to know where you are. And it's not that I'm going to rule you out, but if you're based in Alaska 
and I'm based in Norfolk, Virginia, I need to know that there's a little bit of a time difference and I need to have the expectation that I'm going to maybe be seeing you once a year, if ever. I may never meet you. And if I'm not okay with that, you owe it to me to be upfront about that. Mm. I, you know, I mean, in the age of, of technology, I mean, you could, you could, you may have to go to some, I've seen some advisor websites because remember I'm a marketing consultant. I look at this stuff all day. I've seen mm -hmm. some websites where I literally have to go to the advisor's AD freaking V to figure out where they're located. I, I have the same. I usually go to their LinkedIn profile, but it's the same thing. I can't tell where they are. Right. And while it doesn't matter as much, uh, it well, it's become less important uh, for a lot of people. Right. We know that COVID has expanded the geographic reach for a lot of folks. Uh, that is an example of being clear and transparent uh, so people can if that is important to them, they will know right away. Right. Right. And I'm a fee only advisor. And then elsewhere on the website, explain that. Yes. I know that a lot of you came up when you started working at Shearson Lehman or a Payne Weber, right? I remember, I remember 20 years ago when I got in the industry, I had an internship at Merrill Lynch. So, you know, I'm a, what am I, Gen Z, Gen X, I almost said Gen Z. Isn't that crazy? I am, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm almost a millennial, but I'm a Gen Xer. And when I got into the industry, my first job was I was an intern at Merrill Lynch when I was in college because it wasn't like this visibility of the RAA firm on every corner. And I didn't even know what fee only was versus I just knew that I knew it as stockbrokers. I remember my friend, I told my friends, they said, oh, you're going to be a stock stockbroker, right? And that's how the man, I still remember his name, the, the man that I worked for, that that's what he was, right? And, and again, you can treat your clients the right way. Certain people are maybe going to be more averse to working with someone who charges commissions as is fee-based, is hybrid, whatever you want to call it. But just be upfront with me about it. I'm a fee-based advisor. Then elsewhere on the website, I think there should be a fees page. How we charge. Yeah. I, List I, I, out the yeah. fee. I agree. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. Fee-based, yeah, fee first of all, a lot of people won't, won't really know what that means. So anytime you use a, a, a term that is kind of industry jargon, really, uh, you want to define it somehow quickly. And I found, you know, some, some advisors don't have any trouble asking to, you know, help influence and manage millions of dollars for their clients, but they have trouble talking about what they charge. Uh, it has like, to go away. It has to go away. Whatever it, it is that you yeah. charge, you have to be able to justify it. If you can't talk about it, then you can't justify it. And you're just beating around the bush. And that's what everybody hates. Again, it's the simple question of, are you who you say you are? Mm. And if you can't get past that, you will always be in opacity with whoever you're talking to. You mm. have to get over it. And I've heard all kinds of excuses from... Well, they won't even know what it means, or it's too complicated, or well, I don't have a fee schedule. My my broker dealer firm dictates that. To well, I would really rather get the time first to get a meeting with them and develop develop my value before I tell them how much I charge. Okay. <clears throat> well, guess what? Serves you right when you take somebody to dinner three times. And then on the third meeting, you actually get around to talking with them about fees and assets and this and that. And they say, 
you know what, that's too expensive for me. Or, you know what, and this is the line that everybody hates. I have $2 million, but I think I'm maybe just going to start with 200,000 because there's, <laughs> you know, I know y'all hate that, right? They haven't really been upfront with you. They're kind of pulling the rug out from under you at the end. But guess what? You set yourself up for that because you were doing the same thing to them. Mm-hmm. And you see, I think when you are over transparent, and I don't mean go out there and talk about your issues or the fact you're getting a divorce or you get a kid that's in drug rehab. And look, we have all, we have lives, all of us, okay? I have four children under nine years old, and I could sit here and tell you stories until the cows come home, y'all, okay? But I don't talk about my kid having trouble in math class or whatever. I don't talk about my real personal issues or my family issues or my business issues, right? Like, I don't talk about my political views or my views on the most recent Senate committee hearing, you know, when I'm with my clients, okay? The, you, you know what the boundaries are, but I don't think you can be over clear about things. I don't think that within reason, you can be overly transparent. And when you do that, when you just put it out there without them having to prompt you, without them having to pry, without it looking like you're hiding something, with you might not be hiding anything. You may be okay with everything, but just the fact that it's not clear and stated up front for them to consume at the point of inception, it instantaneously within two to three seconds of them viewing whatever it is you're trying to put in front of them. Unless it is that clear, you're going to have some opacity issues. And then that leads to trust and that leads to all the objections and the I'm too busy and I'm not answering your phone call. But when you are up front, somebody says, you know, she doesn't seem to have anything to hide. Hmm. You know, I could, I, I, I get the feeling she's honest. It's a feeling, y'all. It's not even a, something they logically contrive or they reason. It's just they, they feel that way because, in a sense, you've put it forward and you, I'm going to say the word, taken the risk. But it shows that you're confident enough to take that risk, because when you try to hide, even if you don't mean to, it says to somebody. I'm not quite sure how you'll feel about me if I tell you who I really am. Hmm. It's so confident. And I mean, I say a lot of things, you know, by now, I've probably ticked a few of you off already on this show, but I say a lot of things and I do take a lot of risk with some of the views that I take, but I have people who will argue with me to the death on LinkedIn on one day. And then the next day come back and be like, you know what? Great posting, Sarah. I agree with you. <laughs> and, and you know what I'm saying? Because th- you know why? Because they're like, you know, she really believes it. She really believes what she said. Like, she's not just saying it for attention or she's not just saying it to try to manipulate me. That's the biggest thing. Transparency. Uh, and I do recommend that people visit uh, Sarah's website and look more about what she writes around transparency. The next strategy I want to talk about, um, I think it's important for every financial advisor and every financial advisor has issues. I have issues with this sometime. And that is the concept of brevity. Um, I've heard you talk about a two sentence LinkedIn message. Uh, I've heard you talk about a two sentence elevator pitches. 
uh, and then advisors should communicate like first graders. I've heard eighth graders before. I've never heard first graders. So we'll get into that. So let's break all this down. First of all, uh, brevity. Wh why is it so important? Uh, and then let's get into, you know, the tactical side of your two cents elevator pitch. But first of all, just why brevity? Why so important? The two sentence rule is actually something that was born from my family, because as I mentioned, I have four children under nine years old at this point. But I mean, I had a kid every 15 or 16 months for about four or five years in a row. Right. So I had it was I mean, it's almost like I have three sets of twins. Like, they, you know, <laughs> my kids are each about a year and a half apart. And when they were growing up, I had two kids in diapers at times. And uh, there was a point when Antonio was really working a lot. And sometimes I was alone with all four kids and I really learned how to communicate on the fly. So it was, I would say more a creature of survival and necessity than anything else that I learned. And especially with children, because their vocabulary is limited, that you can communicate very effectively if you just reduce the amount of words. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that I think we all do this. We all overestimate the amount of attention that someone can really pay to us. It's just a thing. It's just a thing of human nature. I have to be, really be in love with somebody like, I mean, platonically even, but you, I mean, if you're my client, I have to do this, right? If you're, if you're my kid, then I have to do this. But in the business world, unless there's a, a kind of a sacred type of a relationship it's not like, and this especially is true in prospecting, where people are looking to kick your butt out the your kick your butt out the door as soon as possible. It is viewed as rude or almost like you're trying to take something from somebody because all we have is our time, really. So what I found was that with my kids, I could communicate with them very effectively by using a certain logic and a, the logic, the way it worked was I would question something that they did and then make a statement, or I would make a statement and then I would put a question mark. I, I, and then I would make a question after it. Okay. So two sentences, one's a question, one's a statement, and you could alternate it, whatever the situation was. So it was so attention getting, for example, stop jumping on the couch. Do you want to break your head? right? That's an example. <laughs> Instead of going into this whole thing about you're going to be punished and what, look what you're doing to my couch and blah, 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 like just let, or uh, the other thing is, and I, especially with children is that they get talked over a lot. Mm -hmm. And I found that a lot of times my relationship with my kids would be so much better when I allowed them to have more autonomy by saying things to them like, you know, they'd say, well, mom, what are we having for dinner? I'd say, I was thinking of making chicken with some broccoli. What do you think of what I just said? Instead of, broccoli. right. Well, mom, I hate broccoli because this or that. And it has allowed them to, to develop themselves cognitively and, and develop a lot of social skills. And that's not something that is really emphasized in families anymore. It's just shove the iPad in their face. But I was kind of against iPad. Look, I'm not judging anybody that does that. And trust me, I mean, I've had my moments. But for the most part, I've tried to keep my kids off the iPad don't always succeed. But 
Uh, and it's it's been tough. It's It really has been, but this is how I managed to keep them contained. So what you want to do is with the two sentence rule, make a statement and then ask a question because you want to draw them in. You want to make them feel that they're listened to and you, you want to connect with them because if they're you're not connecting with them, then you cannot contain the relationship. You cannot create a space for interaction. It's so, just so talking at them and them talking at you and no one's really listening. So can you give us a couple of examples of a two sentence elevator pitch? What hypotheticals or what you've actually heard people do say? If you were contacting somebody over LinkedIn, you could say something like for an initial reach out, you know, I hate these messages that I wanted to connect because we have mutual connections and, you know, or I'm a financial advisor and I'm running a series of dinner seminars. Okay. Well, I mean, look, it's not like I haven't sent those, you know, or advise my clients in some cases to do that out of necessity again, but it's really not the best thing. The best thing would be, I mean, imagine if you got this gift of a message from somebody, Hey, Bill, I noticed that you have this great podcast. I was wondering who's been the best guest on your show so far. See, now that's, that's one I would respond to. I've had some people say, Bill, I noticed you have a great podcast. You know, we help people promote their podcast. I don't care. I don't care. I completely couldn't care less. I want to kick your butt out the door. Right. Exactly. I don't care about that because they're, but if they said, who's been your best guest, that that I would get because it's related, it's specific. If someone says, I, I I hear you have a, you know, I see you have a great podcast. What's your biggest challenge these days? Blah. Please don't ask me what keeps me up at night. Please don't ask me my biggest challenge generically if you don't know me. Uh, well, right, because specific. like, but also, yeah, like I want to hear a story from you because when someone tells you a story, they tell you what their values are. True. And right. And this is something that we've lost as a society. Well, give give me another one give, anymore. Give me, give me another one. Give me, I, I, I love the tactical stuff. I, I, okay. What else might so, you say uh, for, uh, you know, in a, uh, this is kind of an elevator pitch, you know, or it's a reach out to someone on a LinkedIn, whatever. There's a lot of ways we use this. Right. So I saw bill that you've been in business for 20 years. Way back when you started, what was your impetus for starting out? So I like that as well, because there's some specificity there, right? There's there's a way to um, make it seem like you've paid attention to me. And then there was a way you actually have paid attention to me, right? If you say- Well, yeah, that really, yes, Bill. And that really is the- kind of uh, (laughs) the important thing here is that instead of just sending out 500 of these messages a day, which I have to, you know, everyone feels like they have to do over sales navigator, sorry, LinkedIn over sales navigator and do do I get the premium membership and like all that. Right. Um, I'd rather have you send three messages a day. Like, uh, you know, for example, um, Hey, Sally, I saw that you were recently honored at the women in entrepreneurship uh, Dallas dinner. Mm-hmm. what do you feel your greatest contribution has been to society as a result of being an f- influential woman in the, in this area? So it, the difference is the specificity, I think, isn't it? It's the showing that you really did pay attention and it wasn't just a kind of a generic 
sense. I see you went to the University of Maryland. Let's connect, right? It's I see you went to the University of Maryland and yada, yada, you know, are you following the sports programmers? Something specific, I guess. I don't know if that's the best example, but. Well, but it's just, it's more that I want to know about how you think about things. Mm. I want to know about what you value. And again, this is what I was talking about, about being confident enough to let go of my agenda for a minute. Mm -hmm. That if you come back to me and you say, some, I mean, sometimes people, I mean, everyone knows why you're reaching out, right? Like you don't even have to say it. I'm a financial advisor looking to uh, have a dinner seminar and invite 20 people. Like everybody assumes that that's your agenda and <laughs> whether or not, but you know what? Sometimes that's not enough to get you thrown out either because some people may say, you know, I actually might need this person or I'm uh, right now my, you know, working with my brother-in-law and I'm not sure. Cause I'm about to like, divorce his sister. So maybe I might need a financial, I mean, <laughs> terrible situation, but look, I mean, this is reality or I'm about to kick my financial advisor out the door or who knows what can happen. So if they like you, even if they're not interested in you, they will keep you. And mm. they also, if they're interested in you would follow you on LinkedIn or they might subscribe to your newsletter, or they might say, you know, I'm having a business networking thing. I'd love to have you speak at the networking thing. Like people can be so narrow. And look, I mean, I, I understand there was a time when, I mean, my first month in business, I made $47 and 81 cents. Okay. Like I, I've been through the process of establishing a practice or a bit, whatever business, whatever you want to call it. And I understand that there's pressure. I get it. And sometimes the money is not there and you need it. I get it, but people can see it. And as much as you could possibly avoid being in the position of being so myopic that your singular objective is to get the meeting and get the assets mm -hmm. a over, right? Like if as much as you could possibly avoid being in that, let's say, I mean, let's call it what it is, very focused and maybe somewhat even desperate. Not that desperate is that bad a thing, right? Like, I mean, you know how hard it is to motivate somebody who's complacent? <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, look, pain, you know what I mean? Like sometimes, I, yeah. sometimes I kind of wish that they would have a little bit of uh, rain fall on their parade. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> in a few of these situations, because they get so complacent, they're all golfing and they're not, I mean, and that, that is where you get into trouble sometimes too. You could get caught with that too. I mean, hopefully not, but, but it really, if you could just take the time to connect with somebody, have them get to know you and your values and and moreover, like, do you do you know how wonderful it is to be generous? And again, I don't want to virtue signal here and make it sound like I'm Santa Claus because I, I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm a normal person like everybody else, and I've got all kinds of flaws. But I can tell you that I have felt amazing in my life, and the most positive I've ever felt in my life is the times when I've been able to do something so absolutely beautiful. That just and because I think that's what life is really made of. That of creating beautiful things for the, and I think that's why a lot of people are in this business because these, I mean, these, and it's, it bothers me so much when I see a financial advisor who cannot get out of his or her own way. Why? Because of all the bad training of all the pressures, the locking, right? As much as they want you to lock your clients, a lot of these companies are locking you and all of this. I feel like a lot of them just can't be free, but imagine what a state of grace it is when when you can just create positive outcomes for somebody else's business and then have them be so overjoyed about it that they can't wait to tell their friends about you and make you part of their world in some ways 
You see, that's the foundation, I believe, for building a business, not just building a lead funnel. And and you can you you can see other people too who are around you who are doing the same thing. Maybe it's an accountant. Like maybe you feel strongly about empowerment after divorce. Maybe maybe you you want to empower uh, people who have been divorced. And you find an attorney who feels the same way. And you find some accountants. And you find a therapist that feels the same way. And you all have this whole thing where you're together on LinkedIn, or you're doing a seminar together. You're doing you're in each other's email newsletters. And you're inspiring each other and you're looking to the left and you're looking to the right and they're coming up with great stuff and you're coming up with great stuff. I mean, you want to tell me that there's not going to be clients coming out of that and clients you're going to be attracting because you're going to be the light. You're going to be the positive force of generosity and understanding when everybody else is out there looking to sell a ticket. Mm. But you have to take that risk. You have to let go a little bit. And take that risk that, yes, absolutely, you're going to get the door slammed in your face. And you're going to get people that are going to take and try to walk all over you. You're just take and leave and and never, ever reciprocate. In fact, that will probably be what happens more often than not. But when you can somehow manage to engineer it so that you get enough to create this kind of a community around yourself of givers, generosity, selfless. And I don't know, that's a weird word, right? Because I mean, are we on any of us really that self? No, right? We're all kind of have conflicts and we all have motives, right? But when you can do it in a way that gives more than you take, it's incredible. And it's not just incredible for your business. It's an incredible feeling. There's a a quote out there and I don't, I can't remember who said this, um, but it's it's um, I mean, I don't want to butcher it. Uh, give without remembering, receive without forgetting. And it's difficult for people to give anonymously. How many people actually are willing to give anonymously, who are willing to give without expectation of receiving? It's rare. And the times when we do it, we probably feel well, either really good or really good, but then there's that part of us nagging that wants that recognition, right? Um, so, what, I mean, I love what you just said. It's it's kind of about joy in this business, and you don't hear that word very much uh, used in this business, unfortunately. Sarah, we've talked about brevity, a uh, little bit of LinkedIn message, a little bit of a you know elevator pitch, so to speak. Uh, all right, first graders. Uh, we have to communicate like first graders. I think you maybe you touched on that with how you talk to your children. Put a little uh, more behind that, please. It's just the idea of not giving people too much to digest at once. I see. Okay. Like one, they, you know, the word call to action, that means like giving them something that you want them to do at the end. Like, I mean, I see all these financial advisor newsletters that are like, read this article and read that article and read this article and read that article and then like set up a time with me or you can come to my seminar or you can sign up for my newsletter or you can read these other set of blogs or this or that. And it's like, if you give them too many options, they're they're not really going to take any one of them. They're just going to be like, eh, oh, phone's ringing, got to go. You know, it's it could be so distracting. It's confusing when you give them too many choices, right? And, you know, confused mind doesn't take action, generally speaking. Um, are, are, sorry, are you an advocate of um, 
in an email or a LinkedIn post or whatever it may be of, of one call to action? Uh, try yes. to keep it to one specific one, if, if at all possible. Yes. And even in a, even if you're not doing a marketing pitch or trying to get them to actually do something specific in any communication, there should only be one call to action, meaning to get them to respond back on one particular idea. Like don't send someone an email with three different questions in it, unless you list out each question individually. Like before our meeting, I'd like you to answer these three questions. You know what I'm saying? Like those are discrete kind of questions, but I, I, it, like, I hate getting these emails that are like, like wandering emails. Like, Hey, I wasn't sure if you wanted to meet for lunch or you wanted to do a zoom call or you wanted to, to, you know, maybe just wait until next month. And then maybe we could just write each other an email about right? Like too wandering, like just, did you want to meet for lunch? Or did you have another, or did you want to Zoom? That's it. Or, or uh, from your formula, make a statement, then ask a question. Let's set up a lunch, or do you have another preference? <laughs> right? Correct. So, um, and keep it, keep it short and sweet, concise. Uh, you know, I think that permeates really this whole concept of brevity uh, and keeping it simple to every aspect of, I mean, there's websites with way too much copy on it. Um, I, I was, uh, got a, a call from, uh, a woman whose husband was the advisor and she worked in the office and she said, we're having trouble converting the people who come in into clients. So there's a, you know, there's a, the, the conversion rate is very low. And it turned out that this guy never stopped talking, never stopped teaching, and he, he, it came from a good place, right? He wanted to give so much information and, you know, maybe transparency, if you will, and how things worked. And, and, and so people could make educated decisions, but it was so much that they had no clue what to do next with it all. And well, they're not even listening to it. Well, at some point they probably tuned it out because it was also full of jargon and other things like that. So, and, and sometimes people feel stupid when, when, you're, you know, you're educating them what, in a, in a, at a level where they don't really understand where you're coming from and where you're going with the education piece, I think. <laughs> so, uh, gosh, Sarah, you know, we, you talked a little bit about uh, some of the things that bothered you, I guess, your pet peeves around the industry. What, what lights you up about this industry? What excites you about the industry? Uh, maybe, maybe you kind of hit it already with this idea of this community of, of like-minded and doing good deeds for folks, but give us a little more on that. I love how financial advisors are very family oriented. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. What I wish is that financial advisors could accentuate that and could take it a step further and use not only their skills, but their influence to unify members of the communities around them. Mm. Interesting. For example, I'll give you an example. Please. Divorce. No, no stigma about this, right? I mean, it happens to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think that by helping your clients build family alliances where families, and especially those who are like ultra wealthy or families of a similar wealth level that maybe have similar interests and similar challenges, et cetera, that have things in common, maybe, mm -hmm. um, could be paired up and introduced to each other in the, because it's hard to make friends as an adult. 
to make meaningful friendships where mm. perhaps adults that are families, like the heads of the leaders of families could learn from each other about how to have a successful marriage mm. because there's been so much lost with these divisions in society. And again, I, I am not speaking with any shame about this at all. It's just something that happens that we've lost the ability in many cases to contain each other. And I think that a lot of times it's not something that's easy to talk about. So by bringing people together and by maybe fostering these discussions about, well, how do we maintain family rituals? What are some things that families of a particular wealth level tend to do to tend to do with their own families to pass on values from one generation to the next? Mm. How do you, how do couple, I mean, this is something people don't talk about. Like how you've been, you know, um, how rare is it? Like my parents are married, I think 52 years at the, uh, coming up this summer. How many people do you know who are married for 52 years? Right. I mean, I'm sure that there are some people who are in your practice that have been married for that long. Why not have them offer their tips about, well, how did we stay married for 52 years? I mean, this is so valuable. Whoever talks about that, that's not, and, and it is in the interest of the media to portray, Hey, look, you can just, dump your, you know, husband and get a better one on match.com or whatever, right? There's, he's on Instagram, every, you know, you can find your true love. He's not the one for you after 25 years. Right. And then it's, it's so in a way, I mean, I talk about this sometimes is that it's something that I really feel strongly about is, is taking our values back as a society. And I think if financial advisors focus more on the values that are important to their clients, then naturally they would be helping society and that is because, and I, and I love that they're in that position. And I love that so many of them have already done this. I want to urge them to continue to do this. And I know that it's in their hearts. I see some of them. I see they're so beautiful in their hearts and I wish they could do it more and let more of that show. But then there's this whole thing about like vulnerability and you're going to be competent and it's going to interfere with that. And you don't want to look like too gushy gushy. So, you know, you don't have to come out with like, Hey, here's, Hey, let's have a heart to heart every day. Right. Or like, instead of this week's economic update, we're going to be talking about feelings. Right. But <laughs> val values are important. And, and I think, especially with wealth and the transfer of wealth, uh, there, there is a big disruption to wealth that happens when we can't keep those values straight in our family. Well, our guest today has been Sarah Grillo, CFA. Sarah, what is your website? State it quickly and we'll put it in the show notes so people can find you. Well, it's just sarahgrillo.com, but I would just really love it if someone could type in Sarah Grillo to LinkedIn and just connect with me because we have a like, lot of really rowdy discussions on there and that I really just love talking to people on there. So just like come over and say hi on LinkedIn. Yeah, and she does a lot of cool posts, guys, gals, uh, uh, thought-provoking. Uh, that's how I found her in the first place. I go, whoa, this is different. And I like this. It's, you know, it was thought provoking. So uh, thank you for being our guest today. Uh, for everyone uh, listening, if you haven't already done this, please head over to referralcoach.com forward slash resources, get our weekly tips. And I mentioned early on uh, rapid fire referrals, this new tool we have, go to rapidfirereferrals.com check that out. Great way to uh, be reminded of the things we teach. If you're, if you've been in my world for a while, or it's a great way to get started. If you haven't uh, Bill Cates reminding you that ideas do not make you more successful. Only acting on those ideas will bring you the success that you desire. Thanks for stopping by. 
Thank you for listening to the Top Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Proud Mouse Pod Rocket Academy. I encourage you to visit my website, referralcoach.com, for links to my books, online courses, and to register for the Cates Academy.